Mr. Sam Tompkins, welcome to Out of Your League. How the hell are you? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, spending a bit more time in England this week than I have done for a while, so yeah. Excited to be here. <laughs> That's um, a mad story, anyway, isn't it? To what? start with, <laughs> Sam's like we the, start with that. Yeah, Sam's life for the last week. You should probably just go through that as a starting point. <laughs> go on, Sam. Yeah, a bit of a weird one. Um, so it was only last last week I'd uh, got told off Sean Wayne. I'm playing for England. If you can get to England, um, <laughs> so we applied for all these different exemptions for quarantine, coming to England, then going back to France. Um, then just got told last Friday, um, oh yeah, you've, you've got the go ahead, you can go, but you have to drive. It's either fly private, which was 16,000 quid. 16 grand. I love it that you even went to get <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's either fly private and that's where it stops for me. You know what I mean? But got I'll a few prices. Anyway. Yeah. I'll have a look, I'll have a look into it. Got to have some sort of contact. I basically got, got, a, told, got a private jet. If you want to fly, it's 16 grand. Somebody said they go halves with me. I said, um, <laughs> "Who'd go halves with you?" Just for the journey. <laughs> yeah, Wayne said he'd go halves. So I said, "You know what? I'll drive it." So I literally got told at lunchtime, um, dropped my kids back in school for the mm. afternoon, and then just got in the car and just went for it. How long was that? Um, set off about two o'clock in the afternoon. I got to Northampton by like four in the morning. That's good. good. Um, so completely solo, just you. Yeah, there's a, that's me. a lot of time with your own thoughts. That sounds, isn't it? Yeah. To couldn't find any good podcasts or anything to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, they just, yeah, just just went for it and uh, got to Northampton, pulled over, had a nap in the services and then uh, carried on because we couldn't stop anywhere because of the quarantine rules, couldn't yeah. use a hotel. Let's just use um, pay-as-you-go fuel stations and stuff like that. Food? What are you doing for food here? Every time I stop at a petrol station, it was like, oh, I'll get in there, there's no one in and go and get a... Croissant in France. <laughs> Just a croissant. A croissant that when he got to England, else. he got a ginsters. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> he went from that. full culinary trip. When he wanted, he went from no, no. plus miles. And just got back to, got back to, um, stayed at the Marriott at Worsley and just slept for about 20 hours after the drive and then I was I was good. Wow, and here you are. Did you stop off at home, Milton Keynes? Because you are from Milton Keynes, the, the heartland of rugby league. Yeah, it's. I was born there. And then I think he's left. distant. He just distanced himself. When I was about two months, it? you know, what? I've never, I've never been back there since yeah. I was born there. So I'm the honorary president. It's one of those places you just sort of go past and just, you mm. know, on the train. Does anyone? What happened? Any, any ideas? Have we got any listeners in Milton Keynes? Do you reckon? Like, Is it a man-made town? I think it was a post-war man-made place. Yeah. It's like Warrington, yeah. right? wasn't it? Mm. There's not a lot going on in Milton Keynes. No. I don't think. No. I mean, so you were what? Sort of three, four when you headed headed north? Because obviously Joel and Logan were born in the north, weren't they? Yeah, well, Joel was born in Warrington. Then, so my dad was a, a police officer, and he was only twenty when he had when he had Joel. So, um, sort of move up the the policing ladder. You had to just sort of go wherever you were posted. So, um, yeah, Joel was born in Warrington. Then my mum went down to Milton Keynes. That's where they had me. Um, not long after that, they, they applied to move somewhere else. Went to Chorley. And then my younger brother Logan was born in Chorley, and then we sort of settled there until um, me and me and Joel were like, was I seven and seven and nine? Yeah. And we were playing rugby. We started playing rugby in Chorley, Chorley Panthers, and then the standard wasn't great. And my my dad was like, "Well, take you to Wigan. That's where everyone plays rugby." Like my dad's a rugby fan, but never played himself. So the the Panthers was your first taste of rugby league. Then, yeah, having come yeah. from you know the, the state of origin area of Buckinghamshire. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just sort of. Followed what Joel was doing, played, and my dad said, "Oh, well, you can go and play in Wigan." Um, and then it ended up with two of us playing 
they were travelling to Wigan pretty much every day for one of us to train. Um, and then, then my, my dad was at a stage where he was a police sergeant by then, so he could sort of pick where he wanted to work. And um, so we applied to get the, the sergeant job in Wigan and got that. So Knowing we full well that you guys wanted, the idea was to maybe have a career with all three of you. Yeah, that was the only reason to go in. We didn't have any family in Warrington. All our family's from, uh, in Wigan, sorry. All mm. our family's in Warrington. That's where my parents are from. That's who like, we grew up supporting. We were season ticket holders for Warrington for years, me and my brother. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so then just purely for the fact that we were playing rugby, um, my parents said they'd move to Wigan, which it's only now when I'm older and I've got my own kids that I think, can't believe you moved out so we could play amateur rugby when we were nine. Yeah. And but then who saw who, who saw something in you at that age? Say, yeah, kind of worked out, didn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean? yeah. It's yeah. Like for every story where Sam and Joel and Logan actually you know come good, there's yeah. probably a story where there's a family moved to Wigan and it don't work out. Yeah, isn't yeah of course. There's probably several families in Wigan now thinking we really shouldn't have moved to Wigan. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we move to Wigan? Oh my god! But that was well before because you were at um, what was the school called? Saint Fisher, John, uh, Saint John, Saint John Fisher. Fisher, which is where Chris Ashton came through. They all went there, didn't they? Which is yeah, where... Well, I mean, basically, you go Wigan there if you want to play. If you want to play for Wigan and you're in the Wigan area, you go. So when we were playing at Wigan St. Pat's and you quickly get told, like, you know, this school is a rugby school. When you go in and the in the main entrance of the school, there's a massive wall just full of rugby players. Pictures it's not, of Sean Edwards' big yeah, head. There's, there's, it's unbelievable the amount of people that have, have gone through that school. Um, and it's... When I was when I was going when I started, it's like a quite a strict Catholic school. Mm. That's who she's in the bone, isn't it? Well, yeah. So I've never <laughs> been Christian, never been to a church. Um, <laughs> good at rugby. Yeah, that's why Joel got in. And they were like, "Oh, he plays rugby. We'll get him in." So Joel went. <laughs> Is he a Catholic? And then now? When I was <laughs> going, they were really good at rugby. Boy. <laughs> yeah, that was it. But they get you in. But the guy who sorted this stuff out had left the school by the time my younger brother came to go to school and put the application in. They were like. Not in the catchment area, not Catholic. Don't go to a feeder school. Well, how do we let him in? I don't know, his brother's got in. So we had to go to a different school. So <laughs> me and Joel went to this rugby school. <laughs> Logan went to one down the road that everyone else should have gone Lucky. to. And now you two yeah. have just left him. You've got both gone to Catalan and just left him at Witness. Yeah, yeah. There's always been that divide. Maybe that's where it started. St. <laughs> <laughs> John, is it like the northern... Your working class version of Harrow. Basically, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. You went to public you school to, in, in Wigan, go, basically. Yeah, you go yeah, to yeah. Harrow and there's pictures of like <laughs> rugby union internationals <laughs> and like prime ministers. But what was that like? When, I, I mean, I'm, I'm imagining here what you're only just about double figures. It's post sort of playing for Chorley Panthers. So, I mean, at, at 10, do you really know? I mean, you two as well. Do you really know that you're good enough or, or like, you know, willing to, to move a family around and to put a family's future on, on the line? I don't know. You sure promise at that age, but I don't know. I think. If you were a parent whose son wanted to play professional sport and you showed a bit of promise, you might put them in an environment where that can grow and that, that potential can, can can blossom a little bit. But I suppose if there's three of you as well, there's a bit more of a reason to do it than just, just one. Yeah. I think my dad's like the pushy parent as well. Is he? <clears throat> like my mum doesn't care about rugby, don't care like what we do. But my dad from pretty early age was like anything sporting, he'd be like, Riding us pretty hard on it. <clears throat> Push you to the point where it was almost like, hold on a sec, I don't want to go in this this far. Because you know, yeah. I know quite a few people like that who've been pushed and pushed and pushed. I used to spend, it was f funny actually, about two weeks ago I took my son to a, um, a skate park and he was going around on his bike and mm. it was the first time, it was like the adults one, he was only five and he was going over these big bumps and I was stood at the side watching him 
And as he's going round, I'm like going, oh, pedal faster in that bit. And <laughs> oh no, go, go around that edge and then go down. And he was doing it for ages. I'm still there forgetting I'm in the moment. And then he pulled up, um, son Rex, he was like, Dad, can you just stop shouting why I'm doing it? <laughs> and he had this flashback. I was like, yeah, that I, was me. I am my dad. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> into my dad. it was. I was like, this was my dad 20 years ago. Like, yeah. My dad was, every single week I'd be playing and halfway through the game, be like, Dad, stop telling me. And it's coming from a good place. Yeah. But I used to... It's a fine balance though, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, you do, I guess at that age, you do need someone to push you, to direct yeah. you and everyone's different. But that, uh, that balance got pushed sometimes. Did it? <laughs> in school, I got into a cross country competition, mm. and I I won the I won the cross country. I was t I was still in primary school at this point. Ten won the, won it for the school, and I went into like a Wigan school and came in the top few. And then oh, you have like Northwest cross country, and it was through Standish across in Nuria Wigan through all these fields. Anyway, so I just went off on this run. Can't remember how far it was. A couple of k, and halfway through, I was doing all right. And my dad come next to me on his mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these other kids yeah. just running. And I'm running, but my dad's next to me on a mountain bike. I'm like, Dad, we go away. He's like, Lucas like that. <laughs> he, was, he was going to, it was to make me quick. He goes, if you catch them lads up in front of you, I'll stop riding next to you. So to get rid of him, I caught up these lads and then my dad pulled off. And after it, I was like, why <laughs> are you doing that? Then he was hidden in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. 1.5 kgs, he pops up. He had twigs stuck in his hat. He was like that. Squad Sam. And after it, my dad's like, yeah, but you caught them lads, didn't you? I was like, yeah, but now everyone's going, are you that kid whose dad came on the cross-country race? Like, what dad? No, I didn't see a guy on a bike. Did you? Was he like that with all of you, though? Or more you? Um, me and Joel Moore. Um, my other brother Logan, he's that laid back. Wouldn't matter what he did, he'd just do his own thing anyway. So with me and Joel, he was a lot more, a lot more pushy. But mm. um, yeah, it was it, that was that was pretty much constant through sport for as a kid, and that was probably the reason for for why they did up sticks and moved to Wigan just to facilitate us as young kids playing rugby. And but parents like you have to make sacrifices, you know, if if you want your you know your kids to become really good at something, it takes a huge commitment of time and effort. You know, just to to get them into the right position where they potentially could be a professional. So, like, there's a huge sacrifice goes on from from parents, isn't there? You know, you think about how busy our own lives are now, and you think you take that time out. You know, weekends are chockers, two or three nights driving backwards and forwards to yeah. Wigan. It's a massive commitment, mm. especially with three lads playing rugby. So, and I think back, like, my mum and dad, they didn't have a social life because mm. they had three sons playing sport. And like, I think now, like, my my mum's my mum like did. She'd be taking us somewhere, washing all the kit. My dad would text one of us somewhere. Mum would text someone. I was like, they probably never saw each other. They had no social life just for us playing rugby. And obviously they they enjoyed watching, but it's only when you become a, a parent and you become a bit older. Now I think back and go, yeah, you know what? I'd, at the time you just think, oh, that's what your mum and dad do. They take you to rugby and they buy you the new rugby boots yeah. and... They don't need to see anyone else but from us three. Yeah, which not, was... not, not everyone's dad's getting on a mountain bike and following around. No, my dad, my dad, I've got a similar sort of story to, you know, when, you know, the first sort of camcorders were out and you've got the big sort of date and time in the bottom. And I just remember like under nines rugby, like the video camera sort of scanning round and it'd scan round the team. They're all playing rugby and out just in very close foreground, I walk across, but go in the opposite direction to the game and nobody says anything, but you can just hear me dad going, John, the fuck you doing? Wake up! <laughs> the big shovel hand yeah, in front of the camera. Like you know, he's on. He, yeah, he used to. He, he was encouraging, but he he, he was on it. Mm. 
and like you've got your parents have got to be into it, haven't they? For you to be good. Like my wife, like her parents took her to swimming at five in the morning. You know, yeah, like that's are that sacrifice, like dedication from parents. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, team sports are pretty cool because you do get a social life. Yeah. You know, yeah, as a parent, don't <laughs> yeah, you? Yeah. Like, whereas, you know, you know, my wife's dad, Andrew, would drive to the swimming pool at five in the morning before work, sit there, you know, not speak to anybody in a hey, boiling hot swimming yeah, pool. Yeah, sweaty and horrible. So, That's four or five days a week as well. Though, yeah, it? yeah. So there's like, yeah, you need to make sacrifices and, and you know, obviously paid off. Well, yeah, but that I got rewinding to that point then when you, you know, you, you're at St. Pat's. And then, you know, that's that's one level. But to then get into the Wigan Academy, it, for you personally, Sam, was what, 2007? That's when I guess your parents would have thought, okay, well, look, well, let's ramp it up even more. We, we've made these sacrifices. But am I right in saying as well, when you when you guys, obviously Sean Wayne was there when you were a kid and, you know, you made your debut in 2008. But in 2007, he looked at you and Joel and he saw that Joel had a massive head and he thought, okay, well, we know how big this guy's going to be, how much he can grow because of the size of his head. That's what I've read. But they looked, at, but they looked at your head and you, you had a pinhead or something at that time. But obviously they, they based, they, they could see some <laughs> sort of talent in you, but it was different to size. Yeah, is that how he works out how big someone's going to be? That's what I'd read. Well, Wayne should no. be nine foot tall then. Why is Wayne not nine foot tall? He should be like... I've read an interview with Sean Wayne saying that. Yeah. That when he saw you guys as kids, he realised how big Joel could be as a player because yeah. the size of his head. Well, is Joel's big... always been a lot bigger than me, and so they never—I don't think they ever thought I'd be that big. But it was probably when I was about sixteen, I left school. I was leaving school and going to the Wigan Academy. Mm. Then my parents probably thought all these sacrifices weren't really worth it because I wasn't—I wasn't one of the best players in the yeah. academy. So when I first came, sort of in two thousand and six, sort of coming into the under eighteens, um, the the offered contracts out, people are getting a few grand to play. And go to college and that for and, the season. Yeah, for yeah. the season. It was just they're only sixteen. It'd be I might be four or five thousand yeah. a year just to um, play. And I got called in the office. They were like, "Oh, we've got what's called a pay-as-you-play contract. So if you get picked and the team wins, you get twenty-five quid." I was like, "Oh, that's there's no thinking some, about it." There's some ifs. <laughs> so I um, so I did that for my first twelve months of the academy and just couldn't get picked. Couldn't get in the team. Yeah, Sean Wayne was coach. And I was quite a late developer, so when I was 16, I looked about 13. And you know what, you're playing against 18-year-olds, and there's some kids at 18 that are the men. Yeah. And uh, I remember Sean used to go, oh, you're not in the team, and my dad would be like, we well, need to ask Sean why you're not in the team. So I'd go to training, why am I not in the team? And he'd say, okay, well, you've got to be able to tackle anyone on the team one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. from not to score. Like, yeah. So he'd get, um, there's a lad, Ben Kavanagh. I know Kavanagh, yeah. And at 18, he was he a man. Was massive. Mm. And uh, so I was I was a year younger than him. And Sean Wayne just made me stand on the try line. He stood on the 10-metre line. And he gave him a ball. And he'd go, right, you have to stop him scoring. So he'd run over me. Didn't even break stride. Score a try. And Sean said, that's that's why I can't pick you. So I'd go home and tell my dad that. He'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Bearing <laughs> so, in mind now, you, you know, you're almost like his love child. Was it just tough love? Do, do you see it back then as tough love? Or he just genuinely wasn't having you? No, he just wasn't having me. It wasn't tough love. It, that was just the standard he set for anyone playing. Mm. And Sean never, uh, the first year that con uh, Sean coached me, he didn't, he didn't pick me, but he didn't pick me because he didn't like me. Mm. He just picked me because at the time there was better people. There was people like Thomas Coyle uh, who were in front of me that they were way. But I, if I was picking the team, I wouldn't pick me at that point. And the end of that first academy year, um, there was a game, a, a semi-final, for the under-18s, and I obviously wasn't picked. I was running water. Um, it was against Widness, and as the hooter went, a fight kicked off, mm. and everyone came flying in, like 13-on-13 13 13 brawl. Um, 
and we'd we'd won the game and the fight kicked off and eight of our players got banned. So I had to play right. in the final. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm carrying the water. Right? I'm like pushing lads in. Yeah, go and throw a punch. <laughs> Brilliant. Go and get in. And um, so that next week we had a, a final. And uh, so I, I had to play. And I got picked. Mm. Uh, got picked, played played pretty well. Um, and then that, that, that last game, I was like, yeah, I reckon I can do this, you know. Mm. And at the end of that season, they said to me, you don't. You can. You can leave. You can go anywhere else. They didn't. They weren't interested in keeping me. Um, so I spoke to a few clubs, like Widnes, Salford. They had all offered me the four or five grand that academy kids were getting. Um, and Wigan just said, "Oh, there's no money here for you. If you want to come, it's you're playing for free." Yeah. Um, and at the time, I was like, "I'm just going to go to Widnes and Salford." And my my mum and dad sat me down. They were like, "Do you want to go and play for Widnes or Salford or any of these teams?" And I was like. For four grand, yeah. Because at the moment I was working on a golf course, cutting grass for money in the morning just to go and train and not get picked mm. and not get paid because I wasn't getting picked. Um, so I was like, yeah. I remember I was like, I'll get, a, I'll be able to buy a car and I can get insurance. And that's all you're bothered about when you're 16, 17. And my parents were like, we'll find a way of getting you a car. We'll work out you're getting some insurance. You can get insured on my mum's red polo. <laughs> um, like, we'll, you'll work it out, but just... Go again, just go again for free. Yeah, because so they knew that that wasn't your dream. You could have, you could have settled, yeah. couldn't you? And you yeah. still could have been a Super League player, but not at the highest level that you've got to. But I don't think I would have done. Right. Looking back, I think at that point, if I'd gone to a, a Championship team and gone to a Championship team academy, mm. you know, I wouldn't have had the path that I've that I've had. Um, um, so at that point, because Wigan didn't want me, I just went back playing at St Pat's, my amateur club. Went and played during the off season for the professional. I, I went and played for Wigan St Pat's. Went. Came back, but did you think it was over then? That the, the idea, uh, of that big career. No, I didn't think. I didn't. Still at that age, I didn't. I didn't have a career. Mm. I was just playing rugby. It wasn't. I'd never thought of. I never thought. Oh, in, you know, I'll do this for a living, because the the odds of me doing it for a living when I couldn't even get paid twenty five mm. quid for getting picked for the academy, you'd never think. You. I just sort of thought, I'm not going to do it. So I was working as an apprentice greenkeeper, and. I thought, well, I'll probably just play, and if I get if I get to get paid at rugby, so be it. But I'll I'll do that. Um, when was that turning point then? So I've played about my second year of academy. I started getting picked as soon as I went in because I played this grand final the year before, and I think that had given Sean a little bit of confidence in me, and he's picked me from the start. Five or six games in. Is that two thousand seven? Uh, yeah, that's when I yeah that's yeah. when I signed for Wigan. I could see I could see then that you were like you had something in you. You were like massively competitive, weren't you? Yeah. Even though you were skinny and you were weeding, you weren't probably as developed as everybody else. You were more competitive and, and as skillful as anybody else on the field. And then I think that's what I think that's the only reason that I ended up getting a chance was because I I was like ultra competitive, and you don't always win, but I'm, I was always having a dig. And I think that's when I came back and again I was playing for free, and most other people were getting paid. People like Lee Mossock was touted as. The, you know, he'd be like the top earner. He'd be on five thousand quid, mm. and I was good mates with him. And I was on no, and it was difficult. <laughs> at six, you know, at, at seventeen, five grand. It's five grand or nothing. It's a lot. And he's out treating himself. He, he can pay his car insurance, yeah, and he can yeah. get a nice little what, better than a red um, polo. There's nothing wrong with a red polo. But there's nothing wrong with a red polo. Great car. I got picked a bit, and then they, they gave me an academy contract. Then, um, two thousand seven, and by the end of that year, they said, "Oh, do you want to come full time?" Two thousand eight. Mm. That yeah, then made me debut in the Challenge Cup in two thousand eight. 
I find that really interesting, don't you? Yeah. Just the subject of sacrifice yeah. is quite an interesting one to tap into. But people may well have, what well, they do, don't they? They have a perception of you uh, through whatever. And there's been some controversy along the way and so on. But they very rarely know the heartache, whether they care about it or not. It's interesting mm. to hear that, isn't it? Because it, it, it immediately opens up your personality and the, the things that you've strived to do and struggled to do over the years. Well, I think like people, everyone's journey is like really subtly different. And, and for everyone who's like a high achiever, you know, 15, 16, there's somebody who, who does it a different way and a tougher way. And like, you know, Sam being competitive, you know, I know for myself when, when I was younger, you, you play out your age group. So I played like an age group, you know, younger, so I played with older guys essentially. And when Sam was talking there about playing against developed so you're playing against men almost, aren't you? That makes you compete or die, doesn't it? You ha you have to compete really hard or what else is there? Because you're physically, you're no, you're no chance of competing. So you've just got to be more energetic, more enthusiastic and be more keen. That's all you, you can be. And, and, you know, when I sort of made my debut for KR, when I was a young kid, I was playing against men and it, that sort of continued for me. But I think there's something really powerful in not quite being there at a young age. Yeah, physically, you know, because... If you're physically got a presence, you're big, you're strong, you're fast, you sometimes rely on those qualities. But if I was always quite small when I was little, I had to find another way to win. I had to find another way to beat someone. And then you kind of, it hones your other skills. It might be a certain way to tackle in or it's a certain way of, of playing just to get over those things that you lack physically. When, when you then won Sean Wayne over, which clearly wasn't too long after that point we've got up to, how how big an influence has he has he been since since then? Because we know now, obviously, he's just made you England captain, and you know he's still only thirty two, and there's a massive future in an England shirt un, under him. And we obviously know everything you've won at, at Wigan with him as well. Yeah, it, Sean had an influence on there's a, there's a there's a big group of, of of players who came through the academy system that Sean it, Sean's uh, coaching career. <clears throat> my playing career were very very similar so when sean was coaching the academy for the first time that's the first time i was in an academy and then sean became the under 21s coach <clears throat> excuse me and then i was in the under 21s and there's a group of us that, that all came through and, and sean had this um this sort of mentality and, and teaching of like nothing's quite good enough you're going to have to be the very very best at everything and and I think what that what that does at such a young age, it makes kids go one or two ways. There's no not all kids will go, yeah, I'll deal with this and I'll get through it. Some kids go, it's not for me. And I remember um, one of my one of my best friends, who still my best friends now, Reese. We were both in the academy at, together, and he was mature. He was the best. He got the on these national camps. You get selected for. He was the top gun on this and. Um, in the academy, Sean made us carry a filofax round, big leather filofax, and he'd say, "You bring that to every session," and in it was like your goals for the week or your, who we were playing that week. What was in it wasn't the important thing. He wanted you to commit to that filofax would go wherever you're going. So, I was going to the golf course in the morning, so I'd start at five o'clock. I'd pack my lunch. I'd have to pack this filofax in. Other people going to work or going to college, you had to carry this filofax, and you'd come to training. Before you could start, file faxes, <clears throat> everyone, yep, yep, got it, got it. Some kids couldn't bring a file fax. So Sean would go, well, that's not good enough. You're not playing this week because you've not brought this useless file fax with some crap in it that you don't need. But people were like, I don't need And Reese, one of my friends, that was his his breaking point was we got to training. And he was like, where's your file fax? He went, no, got it again. 
And Sean said, "You don't. If you don't want to do this, you can't bring your file facts. Then just leave." <laughs> he went, "Okay," and he left, and that was it. <laughs> and, and like, he that's... carries one around still to this day. He's got that black yeah. leather book with everything in, and he, you know, we've had him on the podcast, and he will still at his age now go up to whoever he meets from whatever walk of life it doesn't have to be a peer or someone that he aspires to be or respects it can just be he, he says he will learn something off everybody that he meets on a daily basis and will you know he's obviously instilled that in you guys at a young age but i mean the, the type of guy that he is i mean he also told, told us on this pod one thing that stood out i remember that you know even at academy level before he was the first team coach he would go into the gym and if people weren't bleeding and screaming and the music wasn't pumping whatever He'd be like, what the fuck is going on in here? Yeah. And he'd make you guys lift until you were bleeding and, you know, probably injuring yourself and whatever. But that is that was that level of expectation. And, and if you weren't willing to go there at a young age, like Reese, I mean, I'm sure there were a hundred other Reeses, weren't yeah, there, who yeah, just fell by the yeah. wayside. And that, that was, I think that's why, Sean, that's why there's a group of players that played underneath him at that stage then went to play professional. That group was much, much bigger at one point and it got narrowed down through Sean being in an academy system being so ruthless with 16, 17 year old kids that unless you could do everything you'd be told and, you, and in the gym, if you couldn't run until you passed out, if you couldn't lift until you can't lift anymore, then you, you wouldn't be able to be there. Um, and I think because that's what we got told and we we just went with it, I think that just, he, you know, he really bred the competitive spirit into into young kids of this is, if unless you're at this very, very top standard. And it didn't mean you had to be the best player in the in the academy but there'd be kids cuz i i was one of them i wasn't the i couldn't lift i couldn't lift my own body weight on a bench press but he could see that i was lifting with every 100% of everything i could and that would be all right you know someone could be lifting double that but if that wasn't their 100% then he wouldn't he wouldn't be happy with it Sean's mentality though all it does is flush out the people with the mindset that he wants at a much younger age. What I think there's a temptation in coaching sometimes is is to maybe preserve a young person's self-esteem for a period of time, you know, to give them the best opportunity not to get rid of the Reese's of this world and, and keep them along in the journey. But actually that's almost cruel, isn't it? Because you're going to get to a stage in your career where it's fucking shit, it's really hard, you need to dig in. And if we don't equip young athletes with the tools to deal with that, what are we doing? We're just preserving what's, you know, four or five year career, you know, you're 21, you sign for Swinton and then, you know, that, what are we doing? You know, if we're trying to create elite players, it's a, that's I think a really interesting one because I, I've heard before and I've heard, I think even you say it as well, or coaches we've had on, in fact, it was Steve McNamara said, it. I think when you, as a coach, give up on a player, you failed them. And a coach. I mean, that's yeah. the complete opposite. Isn't it? I get exactly what you're saying. No, yeah, separating yeah. the wheat from the chaff. To yeah, yeah. Wheat. And it, it depends what you want as a coach. I think every player, every individual's got potential in life, haven't they? So, like, you know, everyone's got a certain amount of potential, and there's different ways to achieve that potential. But when it comes to that Wigan era of young players, that is undeniable. Sean Wayne's approach worked, and it didn't just, you know work for a number of players it produced Sam's probably one of the best players the modern era has seen so if we want to understand it we need to think about it it's that brutal approach the honesty and the integrity of a coach being really demanding but in the right way is still a valid coaching tool now it's not this you know this caring compassionate coach that that I think that we've spent a lot of time trying to become when I think there's still the old school still got its, its place and, and it produces results. It also produces bad results for some yeah. guys, doesn't it? And I think what Sean didn't care about either was, you'll know when you're playing amateur rugby, there'll be a kid who's 14 and everyone says, he's going to be the next Sean O'Loughlin. And then they carry that tag with them for a while and they go into an academy setup and 
a lot of people would be like, well, he's going to be the next Sean O'Loughlin, so he's going to play. To a certain degree. Well, no, I, I didn't. I, no one thought I was going not, to be... I know, not, I know it came later at the academy, but you know, you yeah. had a, a certain talent. Yeah, once I'd, once I'd established myself right. in the academy, but Sean didn't, Sean didn't give a shit about that yeah. with other people. Mm. So he didn't care if someone was thought to be so good. And I remember when I got into the uh, and under-21s and... They'd get, you know, from the academy coaches below, be like, oh, this kid's the next one. And Sean would be like, no, I'm not for him. And he'd make his own decision. And and think that's, Sean just went with whatever he wanted. And I think that's why he got exactly what he wanted from players. Because he didn't care if they were meant to be the best or they were going to be, or he didn't care if, you know, I was on, I was on no money, someone was on £5,000 a year. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go, well, I'll pick him because he's on five grand. Yeah, he just went... started to get that tag as one of the brightest young stars. Did he then knock yeah. you down and don't let you believe it? Oh, no, well, Sean had never, he's, his approach to me playing now. So I get video clips sent with now he's the England coach every week and there'll be a clip of me playing and the the title of it is What the Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, in capital letters. In capitals as well. Yeah, we used it to means case, it. Just we used to have that. that. We used to do, uh, when we were in the 21s together, we used to do a video review after each game and he'd have a screen on his computer and he'd have the screen on one side and then on the, on the other side he'd have a list of players yeah. <laughs> and you you can sit down and you just look at the screen and just look to see your name on the side and it'd be Sam Tompkins, WTF, Mark Flanagan, WTF, and he'd go through the full list of players and it just everyone yeah. probably got hammering on that. And I still get that now, and I got it when I was twenty one, when I was yeah. twenty three, and I I was winning the Man of Steel or whatever. Sean's Sean's standards that looked at me and he didn't care. He, he's like no. So I get it now, like I'll put a bad pass in where we potentially could have hit a winger and the pass is slightly off. Obviously, he's a lot more critical now. When I was 16, it was if I missed a blatant tackle. But now it's if my skill's not 100% on, I get an email with a clip saying, what the fuck? And I I have to, when I speak to him, go, yeah, it wasn't good enough. And he's like, why not? And I remember he had, Sean had this thing with being in, uh, in the in the academy and we all, we all laugh about it now. He'd play a clip of someone dropping the ball and he'd say, why did you drop that? And don't tell me you don't know. Yeah. No one, no one tries to drop a ball. Oh, that was purpose. it. And I remember him saying that, and he would sit there in silence until yeah. somebody said something. So, you'd, so then you'd go, time. "Well, I think the pass." I go, "No, no, not the pass. Why did you not catch that ball?" And you're looking at it, going, "I, I, I really wanted to catch it. I know I did, yeah. but why did you not?" And then it'd come down to how many extra did you do last week of catching? Well, not enough. You go, "Right, well, this week you're going to have to catch a hundred of them." You go, "Okay." Yeah. But isn't that, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. Isn't that amazing? Because the best coaches, I guess, have the ability to blow your legs off, but then to also mm. make you feel like the best thing since sliced yeah. bread to build up your confidence. I look at Sir Alex Ferguson. I know Sean is obviously, mm. you know, learned a lot from, from Sir Alex and it's the same sort of thing. He's not afraid to call out the senior players no. because the younger players seeing that would be like, fucking hell, if he's calling out Sam Tompkins, yeah. he's going to pull my pants down. He'd also, by the same token, he wasn't always hammering people. If you were doing good, he'd tell you, you, you were good there. That was, that's exactly what I want. But he never, he never said, that's, that is outstanding, brilliant. I'd be like, no, that's the standard well done, like, stay at that. It wasn't... But when he said, oh, you nailed that, you'd be like, right, I've, you must have done it fucking exceptional for him <laughs> to say, yeah, you got that right. I so think it, one thing from, just as an outsider, Sean, he, he was really consistent with the standards that he set and really consistent with policing them, you know, and, and, you know, when you've got real clarity from your leader about what's acceptable and what's not, you get compliant behaviour fills the space behind it. 
and people who don't comply are gone, aren't they? They they just get moved on. So so when you're really consistent and you're a leader and you're a coach, you know, you end up finding the people who will comply and will do the things that you need to do. And I don't think anybody's been more consistent with the standards he's set other than Sean Wayne. Like I watched a game with him, we were covering a game on TV and I watched a game with him and sitting with him for like eight minutes was fascinating because there's some of the details that he found so important were things that would just be overlooked. Do you know, like the effort areas of the game, uh, body language, just all these, it was interesting for me. Yeah. And I thought he's looking for different things than most people look look for. Yeah. And he, 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 he finds things and he says, nobody, you can have 20,000 people at Wigan and I'll go, there'll not be one person in the stand watch this, but this is what I want. And it'd be a, a left centre tracking back and eventually making a tackle on the right at some point or something as small as just filling space one metre and making a tackle. And Sean would go, but, but if he didn't do that, if he didn't make that one metre move, they could have scored. And he'd <laughs> pick it out and... Honestly, You're like, we, we had why the, do you give a shit, Sean? Yeah. We, we had the sometimes, video. but it, 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 that's that's what it's like. Sam, yeah. we had the video, right? You know, they do the video where you put the arrows and you like move people around and stuff. And he spent forty minutes where rearranging this defensive <laughs> line. It was like picking people. Right, he's never used this thing before. He's like, right, move him here. He's like, pick him up, put him here, move him. And I'm like, Wait. yeah, it's like this. It was a ten second clip. It took Sean Wayne forty minutes to get it perfect, and he's like, right, right that's it. I'm happy now. That's the, great. The attention and, to detail is fascinating, isn't it? And, mm. and I know you said before you weren't scared as a kid academy days to go into his office and say look why am I not playing because yeah. I, I need to play I want more than 25 quid a game and I'm mm -hmm. not getting that so you know is there a time where you stand up to him and say no no you're wrong and challenge him and whatever or is it always easier just to take it yeah it is easier but me and Sean have had some tough conversations yeah. where I've gone that nah, I don't buy into that and he says well this is what I think and how does that play out <laughs> yeah don't go down well you've always been like hugely confident though aren't you in terms of not Quite not questioning a coach, but like giving your side of the story, aren't you? A lot um, of lads wouldn't would just take it. Yeah, and I think don't really know where that comes from, but I always think, well, if I genuinely believe it, I'm not, I'm not just saying it. I'm not trying to say to Sean, well, I don't think that's right because I look bad on that clip. Mm. I'm saying because that's what I believe, and if I'm if I'm wrong, then. Sean will go, no, this is what it is and this is... But he probably wants that as well, doesn't he, with his psychology? He yeah, wants you to challenge him at times. Probably, and I think that <laughs> he must have promoted it from somewhere, but, and I still have it now, like with um, Steve McNamara and Steve and Sean, like completely different coaches. Mm. Um, you know, they, they coach completely differently and then me and Steve, Steve will go, what do you think of this? And I'm like, no, I don't think that, and he does. And, and that's just how... I think, especially with the position I've played, I've always been in the spine at half and fullback. You, you have to have complete clarity on what you're doing because it's me that's going to go out on the field. So if Sean, for example, or now Steve says, oh, I want to do this, if I don't fully believe in it and I can't really go and execute it to 100%, but after a conversation, never got to the end of a conversation with Sean and said, right, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Mm. He wouldn't have let that happen. Look, I'm really intrigued to get into the differences you mentioned there of between Sean Wayne and your coach now currently at Catalan and Steve McNamara because you say there's you know there's such a, a vast difference. But when you look back on those two Wigan spells and the ridiculous amount of silverware that you won, what, what do you look back with kind of memories? Um, just really good times of... I, I was lucky when I came into the Wigan first team, 2009, I played Super League. We got we were like a semi-final team really. Got semi-final in 2009. We got beat off St Helens at Knowsley Road, and we were sort of happy that we got to a semi-final. Then Michael Maguire came in. Um, he brought Sean up as his assistant, 
And then from day one of pre-season in 2010, it was like, we're not a semi-final team anymore. This is the minimum standard and this everyone's going to get to it. And we had a horrendous pre-season. It was horrible. And then the, the full dynamic of the club changed from that point. It was like a perfect storm. So I was just really lucky that I, I came into that environment at that time. Like Sean O'Loughlin had been playing for 10 years before that. And, and Lockers hadn't won a trophy. They won, the club hadn't won a trophy for 13 years. And then that we came in and was playing with senior players as well. But the group of us came through, people like me, Mickey McClorum, Joel, Faz. We came in and started winning silverware, won a grand final in 2010. So a lot of it's just down to luck. But, you know, my time at Wigan, I look on it, you know, massively fond of the enjoyment I had of getting in. It was like the 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 dream of playing first team, got that, winning trophies, oh, you got that, like, consistently. You know, so it was, it, it couldn't have gone any better. The intensity that that team, the Wigan team, you know, like every now and again in sport, like a team comes in and it changes, everything changes around mm. them. And I remember, you know, we've been at St. Helens for a number of years and then this the Wigan team that Sam's talking about there, that nine, 10, mm. Michael Maguire, there was an intensity to them that just changed the way our teams had to prepare to play because they were that intense. Mm. You know, was the, the detail was that good. It was uh... it was scary for us because we'd in 2010 we only signed Paul Deacon. It was the only signing, and Deeks had played at Bradford for a long time, won everything. He was just a senior um, halfback to come in, so he couldn't change a team on his own. But what had happened was because Sean had been Sean hadn't been allowed to be with the first team by that point. He you know he just hadn't been promoted up. He was still academy, and then Michael Maguire and him got on. Realised they had a lot of the same. Uh, philosophies and, and thoughts on things so they took over and the intensity it was it was horrible for for some you know when you're not used to it it was like we had um went on an army camp in 2010 this was like a lot of teams have been on army camps in the last 10 years but this was like the first time he'd brought it from melbourne and remember we went and it was just the worst four days of my life no sleep just doing stupid things that have nothing to do with rugby league <laughs> and you lie there in bed at four in the morning there's some army guy banging pans behind your head while you go to sleep and you're thinking this can't make me better at rugby no, no. it can't there's nothing no. this does not correlate to catching no. nothing so where's this going to make us better and it did it did <laughs> I don't like, no. Sam I'm not having it I'm not having it I'm not having it you can't trace it back to the pan I'm being banged you, it was it was because we, he the he just made us work that hard in these four days that we'd never we'd never done anything like it before um, and Mark Riddell just cracked the first I've only I've only seen it one one player just went I can't do it Mark Riddell just packed him one morning just wouldn't get out of bed he was like his back was Caesar salad yeah his <laughs> back had gone and and do you remember the example he made of him oh it was like because Mark Riddell had come over he was a senior front played in Australia a long time came he was overweight but he was a good player and he came in and we had like these three days from hell they were terrible um and on the fourth day we woke up in the morning and we all had these uh, t-shirts on numbered like a blue team red team whatever and this guy comes out and he's counting all the numbers and he's like oh, we're missing someone who's missing and no one wanted to say it but Mark Riddell had got up in the morning put his own clothes on he just lied on the bed with his bag and said I'm not doing it <laughs> It's too <laughs> difficult. I'm not doing it. So we're all stood there, Michael Maguire's storm around. Who's missing? And no one wanted to say anything. So he stormed back into the, the where we were sleeping, this dorm. And he's got, get out of bed, you fat, all sorts. 
And he's it's like... an intense guy in the match. Oh, ridiculous. And uh, Mark Riddell went, you've got a duty of care as a coach <laughs> to look after me. And Matt just went, fuck your duty of care, get out of bed. And he won't get out. So Matt, so then, so then he got us, so we're then running around these fields with the head coach, like the angriest you've ever seen him. So this prick's lied in bed, like I'm not doing it. We're getting hammered. And then we finished, the, the, that was the last day, we finished last day. And uh, the, the end of the thing, we, we met at a pub and they had like a pint for everyone before we got the um, the bus back to Wigan, everyone stopped and um, Madge got us all in and he was like, oh yeah, um, just like you know, Mark Riddell's on his way. Nobody speaks to him. We're like, right. He goes, 100 quid fine for anyone who speaks to him. <laughs> That's like something and, you do at school, isn't it? Yeah. Don't dead, talk to Wilkins. Dead straight face. Don't no one keep did. So he kept, no, did the heck. He came in, just stood there, and everyone like went. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> speak to him. Then we got on the bus back to Wigan. No one spoke to him on this bus, because Maggie's just there staring at us all still. Like. Then we got off he's the trying to start a conversation. He, no, he, he knows he knows right. that we've been told, so he's just looking out the window. And then we got back to Wigan, and he got in the car with it. He lived near a few of the lads, Tommy Lulu and that. And he got back in the car and was like, are you going to start speaking to me now? <laughs> and they all just <laughs> cracked up start. laughing, started speaking to him. And... How old would Mark Rizzell have been then when he started? 30-odd. Oh, yeah, he'd have been well in... Yeah, he was. Like, he was. Well a, he played ten years of NRL, <laughs> and he's getting. Like, <laughs> Didn't he get late. caught not doing swimming as well? Yeah. So his punishment for that day was then he had to go. They found like a local swimming pool and said, "Right, you've got." Because he said, "I can't run. My back's too bad." Mm. But he wanted to like flog him for not doing this day. Mm. So every day he had to go swimming five a.m. at this pool, and he did it for weeks. He had to go and do like a one kilometer swim every day before training. And he, he he could swim, he's pretty good at it. So he was like, oh, it's not that bad. He went and went. And then he's been doing it for weeks and they'd they go on his own and do it. And Michael Maguire had been checking every day with someone from the pool, phoning up saying, has he been? How long was he in for? Every single day. But Mark Riddell just thought, oh, he'll not be checking every day. So he'd done it for weeks. He missed a day. And then he came in training. Michael Maguire was like, dead calm. Oh, how was you swim this morning? <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, good. I was a bit tired. He went, Oh, was it? Why are you lying? He's like, What do you mean? Why are you lying at me? I know you've not been off on the pool, you didn't turn up. And then blew his legs off. I can't remember what his punishment <laughs> for that was. But he checked every day that he'd gone doing this swimming. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's He was that intense. He never rang at the swimming pool. <laughs> it never rang since. Michael Just double bluffed him. Is he there? Yeah. <laughs> so intense. <laughs> that was that's that he was that full on with everything. It was but he even he even took he took over like he'd go in the um the kitman's room, George Unsworth Kitman, he's been the kitman for thirty years. And he'd have him like Come as he walk in, George would be like, "I'm oh, okay. I'm folding kit. He's doing it for nothing. He had everyone on pins, like <laughs> thinking everything had to be perfect, and and it was, and it worked. The the um obviously before we get on to, to Catalan, either side of the Wigan spell was a was a trip to the NRL. And you got a massive move, didn't you, mm -hmm. to New Zealand Warriors in 2014? Yeah. When you look back on that time, um, because you were playing some great rugby, and I know yeah. you know homesickness was sort of cited and so on. Do you do you regret going? Do you wish you'd stayed longer? How does that sit in your, your career so far? Um, I didn't, I don't regret growing, definitely happy I went. Um, when I came back, I wish I'd stayed another year, just because it got to the point, so in, in my first year, I played some decent rugby, didn't play my best. As a team, we finished ninth. Um, but, you know, speaking with the coaches and that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd done decent. But because I'd gone with such a, 
a tag on me and it was like New Zealand Warriors have since the start of time have, have underachieved they've had loads of potential but not quite got there and it was oh this I just won the Man of Steel in England they said he'll come and he'll sort it out and we'll We'll win the we'll win the premiership. Yeah. It didn't go like that. No, no. <laughs> Cheers for um, that guy. <laughs> so there was loads of pressure on. So I got hammered just for as it is over there in the in the media. You get hammered if you're not if you're not the best player on the pitch. And then in my second year, I um I snapped the PCL ligament in my knee, and I just I just injured that. And my wife um just fell pregnant, and I got a phone call from um, Chris Radlinski. And he just said, oh, I don't know if, what you're thinking. I know you've got one year left, but if you want to come back, um, they were just bringing in the marquee signing rule so you could sign a player who wasn't on cap. Yeah. Um, He's very good at that, and he persuaded did it with Bateman. He must be yeah. very powerful on the phone. Yeah, he is. And I think I'm the same as, as Batty would have been. If you've had good time somewhere, yeah. you know, never left because the team easy, was poor. It's an easy Rod. sell, isn't it? Yeah. So Rad's for me. I was like, yeah, you know what? I want to do it. So I said to my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, you know, about going back and she didn't want to do it. Mm. She was like, no, I like it here. But then once she'd fell pregnant and the thought of, you know, being so far, because it is a pretty long way yes. away from family. We were first far, baby. Yeah. It felt like, oh, we should be back. And my Joel lad, young, he just had a daughter and um, my other brother, Logan, was there having due to have kids and we, we were all around the same and my, my my wife's got two sisters who had young kids at the time it just felt right to go back and um and we did and went back and i can't i can't say i wish i didn't go back because went back and was successful we, we won another comp there and i really enjoyed my time but i think i'd, I'd probably made the decision a little bit on because i was injured i just i'd never i'd never had an injury before and i snapped this ligament in my knee and i just felt like oh just you know just want to be around comfort and you want to be around your your own sort of support network of your mate down the road, your mum around the corner and, and I just didn't have that and, and I made that decision and, you know, I think what I should have done is just got my knee better and, and, and gone out and played. But from that point, when I was at the Warriors, they knew I was leaving at the end of the year. I had this injury and they sort of just said, just play, you're all right. And I, I knew my knee wasn't right. There was something wrong with it. Well, I knew what it was. My PCL was snapped, but they were saying you can carry on without that because a lot of players do. Um and I just couldn't. I was running and I just felt it was, you know, when you have that dream where you're fighting, you can't punch him, or you're running away from someone and you can't run. I felt like that playing. Yeah, yeah. And it was. What is that dream about? I've had that. Is that just massive insecurity? I've, you know, what, I've had that. You must have had that. You try to punch yeah, someone. It's not yeah, doing yeah. it. It's oh, normally you. Just you. It's just like. Yeah, you know, to punch <laughs> me. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, there's nothing worse than being on a rugby field and feeling like <laughs> yeah, that. That's, <laughs> that's what I felt like. I was playing like that and I couldn't turn. I watched clips of me and I was like cringing because I couldn't. If I was tracking at the back of the line as fullback and they they turned the ball back another way, I was like doing a U-turn like a bus. I couldn't step off this foot. But at the time, the club were like, no, you just get through it. Because they wanted to just get the most out of me. They paid a lot of money for me to go. Yeah. And, and that was fair enough. And then as soon as I got back to Wigan, they sent me to like the best specialist. And he was like, you can't play on like that. You need an operation. So it was an underwhelming start back at Wigan because I started getting an operation. First operation, I had a synthetic PCL put in my knee. And then I had a, you know, a comeback of not just getting ready to go on the field, but then once you're on the field, getting yourself back to where you where you should have you been. Built, so you built yourself back to your best and, and the rest. But on that, just on that, that was an interesting time for me. I worked on a few games watching you, and there's a lot of people at that time were quite critical of you, weren't they? Yeah. Do you know, as in like, yeah, 100%, they were yeah. like, I remember cringing at times, but I was with people who were saying, "Oh, that's you know, he's gone. Oh, he's mm. gone." How much 
you, you obviously, as a player, you, you're aware of that sort of chat, aren't you? Yeah. 100%. How much did that, like, as a competitive but, guy, wind you up? Well, no one would be questioning my ability more than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be watching games and going, I'm better than that. I can do better than that. And I knew I was coming back from a knee, but I was always going, like, I think back and I was I was like, before a game, be like, it's 100%, feels perfect. Yeah, yeah. And then what it actually got to after that stage was 10 times better again. But at the time, so I was watching games and I was like, I, I was always confident. I was more confident because there's, I'd, I was, what was I then, 26, 20, yeah, about 26 from my first injury. And I'd seen loads of people come before me and have knee injuries and come back and, and come back to the best. So I always had that confidence. But yeah, I was getting hammered and I was, you know, people had loads of times be like, oh, remember when you were good a few years ago <laughs> and I'm like yeah I, st I can still play but even like how hard is it not to snap and be like you fucking like how, how yeah, you yeah difficult yeah. yeah but it was like my mates and they weren't saying it out of like yeah. spite yeah they were, they were just like do you remember what you speak yeah they were just like oh yeah do you remember 2013 was good that remember yeah. you, you were well, quick that and that really and, like hurt oh yeah <laughs> deep down like, I'd be like oh yeah no yeah I'd go and be like oh, oh, at the time we've had this conversation on these pods before but at a time when social media was like in its peak, mm. you know, for for trolls and whatever. And now, yeah. for the last few years, people have tried to address that. They're always going to be there, but they must yeah. you must have been getting some shit as well. Yeah, but I, I've I've got shit from day one. Yeah, you used yeah. to embrace that though. I remember yeah. playing against Sam for Saints and Wigan. You scored a really good try, and then ran past all the Saints fans, fucking winding them all up. Like yeah. you used to embrace, yeah, all that, didn't you? It's sort of that pantomime villain theory, and it. And I got we played a game um, against the Exiles two thousand eleven. We ran out for the warm-up, it was at Leeds. And we ran across to the side where all the Leeds fans were, the South Stand. I remember I was running across with Jamie Peacock and James Graham, and all the fans started booing. And I was like, what's these two done? Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> and then in the warm-up, I was catching kicks, someone was kicking the ball to me. Every time I caught it, they booed. Passed ball, I was like, is that... That is for me, <laughs> isn't it? Really, yeah. And I got booed every time I caught the ball. I was playing for England, yeah. in England. <laughs> That's and then I was like, this is bizarre. I remember after the game speaking to Jamie Peacock, and Jamie Peacock was like, it's just letting you know it's bullshit that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, don't really matter. Mm. And then social media, obviously, like as you said, trolls and things. But I quickly realized social media isn't real life. Yeah. No, no, no. I've been caught, I've, I've had the worst things said to me on social media. Mm. And I've never had one person in the last. 15 years of playing rugby come up to me in the street and gone you're a prick not <laughs> yeah. one not one but I'll, I'll have had a, I'll have had 10,000 comments calling me a lot worse yeah, yeah. so it's not real life and I quickly realised that it's not it isn't it isn't you know we talk now about people who show off their lives on yeah. on Instagram and yeah. they've yeah. got nice cars and nice watches but they've got crippling monthly payments but you don't see that do you they've, and it's a false it's a false image and trolls and abuse online is also false it's not these people, if you walk past them in the street, they'd probably yeah, be like, hey, am I not getting a photo? Yeah. Or can I get a picture? Yeah, but yeah. but then, but you, then you, you know, you've obviously also, and everyone knows full well, it's not just the booing and the two fingers up to people. If you if you play the pantomime villain, people will want to catch you out. I'm yeah, thinking of, of the rectum of Wigan comments yeah. and whatever. You know, that at that, that time, that was sort of, and John's talked about this before, people shoving camera phones in your faces. And I mean, Jesus, we've all behaved in ways perhaps we shouldn't have with a bit of hindsight and without, you know, 20 pints of, of Guinness inside you. Yeah. But... You've and everyone's an angel, aren't they? If, yeah. if you get if you do something wrong, or even in a game, I remember playing and I got simbin for something against someone, and the abuse you get of people, like, oh my god, what? A... And you're like, hold on, I got simbin for like a high tackle. 
I've not, I've not done anything to anyone. But people will always remember believe. those controversial yeah, moments. I mean, Zach's talked to us about it. You know, even if it's a couple of things, you never, you're very, very. Yeah. It's very difficult to wash that mud off your shoes. It's a tall poppy syndrome, and people want to see someone that's doing well and mm. cut them down as as much as they possibly can. But mm. it's, yeah, they get self-esteem. Not... Somebody who's really critical of somebody like Sam or or anyone, they get a little self-esteem boost off mm. off criticizing someone. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, they think they've made Sam feel worse about himself and they feel better about themselves. Yeah. But the reality is, it's not even registered half the time. Well, Do I only I'm... see comments on social media that from people that I follow myself and I don't follow every rugby league fan. Yeah. So if I if I follow my friends and people I know, I only if they write something to me, I'd see it, but I don't mm. see it otherwise. So you never, stick, you never when, stick Sam Tompkins what into my the mates, search bar. What my mates do, they, they'll tag on them. God, there must What's have been that? a time where you've stuck Sam Tompkins into the search Oh yeah, bar. I've had to a few times. <laughs> yeah. Just to check how bad it's got. I, I hate it when people tell you that someone's slagging you off online. Yeah, yeah. People go, oh, have you seen this? He will do it. He does it. He's seen this. So when he was somewhere horrific on Sky, he was a bad outfit. I just searched John Wilkin on Twitter. Hashtag Derek Beaumont. Send it to Will. Like, and then sometimes <laughs> show John, oh, look but what Leslie from Battle said People enjoy telling you that you're being slagged yeah. off online. So my mother-in-law does it as well. She goes, do you see what that guy was saying about you? I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> what guy? And she'll go, oh, look at this on Facebook. You know, there's like a Facebook my, my mates buy into it. My mates go, look at this. My mates will be leading people on. They'll be like, oh, Sam Tonkins, what a prick. My mates will come in. <laughs> yeah, I saw him kick a kid in Tesco last week. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, they'll yeah. go, did you? Yeah, he's like that. And then these, these chats go on and on, and my mates go, look at this. And then look people, will be, started. Yeah, people will be giving me the worst, yeah. And how how like, intense was that moment, though, the rectum? Was it the fucking rectum? We're going to remember what the quote was. Yeah. But, but that was a time when I imagine, and look, you've always been, because of your profile as a rugby league player and being a you know an England star, you've had it a lot more than others. Mm. Uh, maybe the guy sat next to your left. Played England Knights, so didn't you, Martin? Just the one game. Yeah. But, um, you know, so you've always been able to kind of brush that off. But that time, yeah, it, the papers were going for you, wasn't it? It was a snowball effect. They wanted more. It wasn't just that one story. Mm -hmm. They wanted they wanted repercussion. Yeah, of course. And it was basically a, a video of me and Joel arguing. And it was a 20-minute argument. And mm. one minute of it was videoed. And it don't, don't paint a great that's picture. That's the clickbait that everyone wants. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and after that, it was... For me, I'd... Like I say, I've been getting... I've been getting shit from day one of playing, so I still had that mentality of these people hate me. They're not. I don't know them. Um, but then Joel had never really had that before. But Joel didn't have social media, so it didn't really affect him the same either. It was more like family and friends, and like my mum having to watch. It came on a camera. What um, the Mail Online? Oh, it's on the Mail Online. Well, yeah, it don't matter. But, but like my parents, for them, it was yeah. it was. It was worse, yeah. I felt terrible for my parents that they'd yeah. that, that I felt like people had then questioned them. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, What sort of parents are they? When I know I've had the best parents that have done everything for us, I'd never want people to look at my parents and go, oh, Bad parents when it was a, a drunken a drunken argument on one night isn't a And someone's willing to cash in for hundred and fifty quid or something. Yeah, of course. Know? Maybe and a bit more than that, wasn't it, probably but Yeah. <laughs> but they yeah, they want want that. Look, well that's like it makes good news, doesn't it? And mm. I think the issue with stuff like that, and I think rugby leagues all, all like often fall and foul of this, is when you try and permeate through to make mainstream news. Quite often in rugby league, it's the bad stuff that makes. Yeah, of course. It. Look at the Ben Flower punch. Yeah, mm. the most ben, watched. Yeah, it's the most watched rugby league clip in mm. the last ten years, and it's someone getting sent off. Yeah. yeah. I remember. I remember um, Ben won't mind me talking about this. Af straight after it, he. He was in a bad spot, Ben. He was like, oh. and everyone then thought that Ben Flo was this crazy thug. Mm. He's the nicest man you'll ever meet. And he had 
a brain explosion. He had a fight on a pitch when you're that pumped up in a yeah. grand final and he's done something bad and he knew that. But then everyone goes like, oh, well, there's still people now like Ben Flower. He's crazy, yeah. is he? But, but people want that pantomime. No, not at all. Authorities want that pantomime to a certain degree, shit doesn't sticks. they? Yeah. Well, that's the problem when it's, mm. if it's responsible journalism, you know, probably gives a balanced view of it. Ben Flower's lost his head. He's cost his team the game. That's punishment enough as a professional. Yeah, of course it? it is. You don't like, want everyone else to know about it. Everybody, whoever comes in contact with you, thinking that you're just some sort of crazed, wild yeah. animal. And same with Sam and Joel, like, you know, for, yeah. for everybody who meets them, expects them not to be polite, professional sort of people. Is you know expecting that sort of reaction from me all the time. The amount of times I've met people over the years in any loads of different walks of life, and you meet me like, hey, you're right, and they're like, quite normal, you're all right? Aren't you? You're all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm you're like, actually all right. What were you, what were you expecting? Yeah. <laughs> but if they've like when uh, flashes on a bit when I scored against Saints and ran backwards in front of the crowd, yeah, uh, people think I walk around Tesco doing that, or yeah. they think I'm like. I'm not saying the game needs Ben Flower, you know, knocking people out and whatever. You were on the pitch that day. You ran a mile, didn't you, Mark? Yeah, I ran the watching. And then he knocked you out a few years later on, didn't he, Ben? Yeah, exactly. Just get Ben on one day. Um, but you know, they, 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 it's almost like the authorities. I said the authorities. Not saying Super League wants that, but I was at that game and it was like iconic's the wrong word, but you, you, I remember that mm. well, like vividly for the rest of my life. It was yeah, kind of it yeah. was quite a powerful moment within the sports history. Yeah, some, yeah some made the right point is that it's as old as time, isn't it? The the the, the villain, the, the like pantomime villain, mm. it's been around since like you know like fucking Greek mythology. You know they, they've always used like as an entertainment tool. The, there's there's a hero and there's the villain. But if you use it, you have to pay the consequences. Yeah, but but Sam would always be a villain to Saints fans at that time when Wigan were coming yeah. right back over the top of Saint Helens. Sam was at the heart of everything, scoring like unbelievable tries and celebrating. It's yeah. no different. It's no I don't different think he's asked. You're not asked, are you? No, no, no. no, no it's quite part of the love no, of playing no, no, a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah and the, the adrenaline. The rushes. same thing is look in sport. A Saints player scores in front of the Wigan fans, does the same thing. Yeah. But we always forget, don't we? Yeah. So Paul Wellens tapping his chest in front of the Saints fans is fine. Yeah. But if Sam Tompkins do it to us, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not fine. How dare you? know, I, and that's I just remember, sport, isn't it? I remember watching Wigan, um, going in the South Stand at Wigan, watching Wigan against Saints. I must have been in the academy system, the scholarship system, we used to get a free ticket to the match and Sean Long, every time Sean Long ran near the side, <laughs> they'd all boo him and I did, I didn't even support Wigan. Yeah, no, no. I supported Warrington but I used to go because I got a free ticket so if Sean Long came past, we'd boo him and, and <laughs> rightly so though. Yeah, but, but normally the most talented people in the history of any sport are the ones that get booed, aren't they? Yeah. Get panto you don't get pantomime villains no, who aren't great at their craft. But it's, it's yeah. just, it's part of the job, isn't it? it and yeah, that's yeah. ultimately like, is and it's part of social media. If you, yeah. When you sign up for social media, that's what you sign up for. Yeah. And you can yeah. use it however you want. Like my social media, I'm not very active on it and I don't put anything personal on it but when if you if you have social media then yeah you are opening it up and yeah. what social media does is gives everyone a platform where things become they seem more valid than they are if somebody writes it down and you've got to read it you're like oh yeah he thinks i'm a prick mm. but <laughs> but that's the same bloke you walk past in the street hundred yeah, times yeah, you'd yeah. never say anything to you look we, we haven't got long left with you and i want to touch on a couple more topics but um you know the the distance of playing for new zealand warriors and i know it's a lot more than being in perpignan south of france but they, it didn't put you off being away from home comforts and you went to Catalan after Wigan and you've had a great time there and you know you're working under Steve who we, who we mentioned earlier how how different is life for you living in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere little village yeah it is it's very different and I think living in New Zealand and enjoying living in a different completely different culture and different country different people I, I enjoyed that part of it so when the chance came Steve contacted me um it was when I was actually playing against Catalan 
um, after the game because we'd stayed in touch. He coached me at international level, so we'd, we'd always been in touch. He just said, oh, if you ever fancy it. And then from that moment, I was like, you know what, I, I do fancy it. And, and my wife was like, definitely keen. And um, yes, yeah, so we, we, we moved over, bought a house in um, a little village called Bompass, not far out of Perpignan. And it's um, it's it's brilliant. I can't, can't complain about it. And it's, it's something that I, when... We we first moved over. We knew it's a big change. The language is the is the main barrier. We knew it'd be a massive change, and we hoped that we'd like it. But you can never hundred percent say you will. Um, but hand on heart, from day one, it, we've we've loved it, and I can't see us moving back anytime do, soon. Do you feel detached from Super League being that far away? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's nothing like when I was playing for Wigan, because when you when you're in France, all the all the fans, they'll you know if you're not playing well, they're not happy. But it's more it's Catalan against the English teams. So the fans are like, if you're not playing great, but you've you lost a game by six points, it's always the referee's fault. It's the referee's <laughs> fault. That's, that's always Andy, isn't it? And it's, you know, and and that's the sort of way. And, and people in France are so different. Like, I got asked the other day when I was in England camp, like, oh, what's it like with the fans and things? I'll walk through the village I live in, the local fruit shop, um, Didier and Fabian, they'll go, Bonjour, bonjour. They don't want to talk to me about rugby. They'll go to every single game and watch it. But for them, it's more a, it's like a big night out. They all go and eat after the game and they have a drink and and all the fans are really, really behind you. And you when you when you finish training or when you finish a game, it's not, you know, if, where I lived in Wigan, you surround, you've got St Helens, you've got Warrington, you've got. So when you're out and about, you see a lot of people. Some oh yeah, chat want to chat to you about rugby and things like that. Over there, you never ever get it, and you do feel a little bit more. You're away from you're away from it, and you're in such a completely different place. It's do you enjoy that piece? Yeah, that, that peaceful space. Yeah, I don't think I would have done years ago. No. I think well, now I've got three kids, soon to be four. <laughs> I have a life away from rugby, and you don't when you're a kid. Do you? When you when you first start playing, you live and breathe it, don't you? That's it. You, you, there's not a minute where you're not thinking about rugby when you're 21. But now I'm older, and I do have, you know, family comes first, and I've I've got my wife and my children. Having that time away from from rugby, you know, a, you know, on a weekend play on a Thursday, that week, that few days off, it's so much easier to switch off from rugby, and I, I think that's so much better for my kids as well. I wouldn't want my kids going to school in Wigan if I was me seven, eight years ago, getting hammered for something or playing against Saints, doing something, and getting hammered. I wouldn't want my kids going to school and there will be someone's parents like, oh, that kid is dad's this, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm away from that. And what do you do What do you do in terms of, like, French lifestyle and French culture? You get into wine and cheese or he played any golf? Or, and I actually got into wine in New Zealand, so I was already ahead on that. Tell me you play yeah. ball just in, like, the town square or something. Yeah, like yeah. the tank it's called, yeah. The tank, that's that. it. It's, um, it is such a different different way. And and we, when I went to New Zealand, it, that was my first taste of living. So I'm, I'm just a lad, grew up in Wigan lived in Wigan, played rugby. It's the most stereotypical Wigan lad's life. Went to New Zealand, I was meeting all these different people from learning about the New Zealand culture because they're very big on that at the Warriors. Um, it was so different and it was a little bit like a light bulb moment to me, like there's a world outside of Wigan here. And then when I went back to Wigan, that's why I was always like, I'll go and do something else. And then going to France, like we love it. It takes, a, it takes so much adjusting because it is, the, the lifestyle is so, so different. After getting getting used to it, it's... You know, it's an amazing place to live. When you, um, obviously, the time we're recording this, you guys are absolutely flying and you've already had a great couple of years there. 
how much of a game changer do you think it would be for France, for Catalan, for everything that Steve has gone there to do for you as well at 32 with still you know a good few years ahead of you if if you could win a grand final with Catalan? It'd, it'd, be, it'd be absolutely huge. I think Steve's Steve's gone there and, and got him the first silverware in the Challenge Cup and Catalan have always been an inconsistent team. You can play against them one week and they blow you away. You play against them next week and you'd win by 30 points. And... So what's and and when they won the Challenge Cup, they were terrible in the league, but they knew they could get up. And Steve's Steve's really good at he's, he's a very positive coach, Steve. So if you're on a bit of a roll and you're going well, he'll fill you with confidence. If a kid's had a average game, but a couple of things were really good, he'll tell him how good those good things were, and that's what he wants more of. And that's that's his style of coaching, and it and it can work, and it, it's working for us at the moment. And it, the difficulties is going out of the win one week, terrible the next. And, and we're starting to get that this year so far. We've been pretty consistent. So, And and, and Steve's bringing that in and it's it's something that you have to... It doesn't don't come overnight because everyone who plays there knows that's it. It's not... And people would give up. In my first year in 2019, we got beat a couple of times and it felt like there was people on the field that gave up. And I'd never experienced that before. Being from playing at Wigan, it, it, that was a non-negotiable. You can lose big, you'd lose big, but... It, it wouldn't be through lack of effort, and that's what it was at times. And and Steve's now turning that turning that round, and, and we don't really have that. Well, that atmosphere as well, that Challenge Cup final. I mean, it was sorry, Mark, but it was um, the, the the pictures of the the French guys at Wembley. Yeah. It, when, you can, it's something. It's building there, isn't it? There is something building. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's got to come. The bigger picture of it is bring young French kids through. And Steve's doing that now more than any coach has ever done before. <clears throat> and there's young kids that, that do need to be promoted and do need to play more. And, and Steve's willing to do that. Um, so I think the, the bigger picture... Didier that, and Fabienne and the people in the cheat, you know what I mean? The, yeah. Those guys are coming on side. You know, the yeah, idea of that they're, those boys coming up to London to watch... A, and loads of people get comments now like, oh, you, you're getting pretty good now, aren't you? People... <laughs> And, and yeah, that's like, the form of uh, 2013. Yeah, yeah, you're good again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's what pe people are, are, you know, hoping, and that's what we want. You know, we we work hard, and there's a there's there's a there's a big group of players that want to be consistent, and Steve's Steve's really helping that. I think Steve's he's got the balance right. It's a lot about player management to coach a team like Catalan with. You've got French lads, English lads, Aussies, Kiwis. You've got a, a big mix, two different languages. Um, so it's a lot of it's about player management and getting the very best out of people in, in different ways for different people. And, and Steve's very good at that. He, he's got, well, I, I don't think he's got the best out of you. What I'm trying to say is I think you're at that point in your career where you know more than you've ever known about the game. Yeah. Like, so yeah. your knowledge base for rugby is like the best it's ever mm. been. And physically, probably body's not quite where it was in 2010 yeah. or 11 but are you enjoying being in that space where you yeah. know more about rugby than you ever known and you put in that into practice yeah and you'll probably have had the same feeling towards the end of career some games become easier because you're not I'm not as um, I'm, I don't do as much guessing you know it's pretty easy to predict how we're going to play or how a team's playing and obviously you get things wrong and you, and you have some tough battles but yeah, if you could put if I could put this brain in a twenty-one-year-old me, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be very good. I'd be very good <laughs> on that subject. How much is left in the Sam Tompkins tank at thirty-two? Um, plenty. The way I'm feeling, you know, my body's good for a thirty-two-year-old. How long you got left at Catalan? Um, I'm up this season, but yeah. I'll be. Mate, he's in bomb pass. He's eating some really nice <laughs> French <laughs> produce. <laughs> you know, he's the, you know a glass of red every now and again. The tank. 
Just fantastic lifestyle. Look, he looks less stressed than he's ever been. That's a relaxed French man. sun's not helping the, <laughs> the look. Well, I'm looking like a mulberry handbag. You've had your fair I'll share of knocks, though, like you said there. I mean, you know, but really, you think at least another couple of years, at least. Yeah, comfortably. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've only had, I've had two major injuries and and touch wood for for a long time. I've not been, mm. um, and and Steve, you get to an age as well where they, they just want you on the field to play. Mm. So I'm not doing army camps and I'm not <laughs> smashing into people five days a week like you do when you're younger um, so the club are very good with that I've got some really switched on staff in Rich Hunswick and uh, and Steve who who know you know how to get the best out of a senior player uh, people like Jimmy Maloney you know mm. Jimmy Maloney's older than God's dog and he's still <laughs> turning out every single week and that's because of how they, they look after us to make sure that we're in the best condition and that might be one week getting flogged but the next week it might not be and they're very good at that if you put your back then right you're back in the army camp day one uh, do you get through it now or are you Mark Riddell I'm Mark Riddell <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Mark Riddell one. all the way he won't, <laughs> get, he won't get me there not even off the bus when they go out so, the bus is leaving so. at 7 I'll be doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. in my own bed at home like I've, I've fell for this before no chance well, that's, that's an amazing way to finish because I'm just thinking also when you then you say it's all nice and Steve knows how to manage you and whatever you're still then meeting up with Sean he's told you to drive across the whole of the world to uh, to get here I wonder how your hip flexors are after that journey but um, World Cup place to finish I mean the boy who via Milton Keynes to via Warrington, Wigan Academy, St. Pat's, St. John Fisher, all those things that you think about that we've talked about. Um, and you've had some great memories already in an England shirt, but what an opportunity this is for you with, with Sean. And again, yeah. I don't know Sean like you do, but from the outside, it's like I, I'd want to play for him, you know, and, and, yeah. and at the end of this year, it's given where we've been with the world of COVID and everything, what a, what a stage to be on. It's, it's an unbelievable opportunity. I think it's, you know, for the World Cup to go ahead this year at it'd be sort of a, a celebration of a bit of normality, you know, having a competition like that, especially on home soil. And, you know, we've got a great squad. And with Sean, you'll not find a coach who wants to win a World Cup more than Sean. Without doubt, I know that. Um, and, and he'll do everything he can. And it is, it's funny how it, you know, it goes full circle from from Sean first, you know, not picking me to to making me the captain of his, of his England side. It's a, a huge honour, massive opportunity for me personally. But... As a group, um, you know, to win a World Cup on home soil would be, would be right at the top of anything I've ever done. Sam Ledge, thank you so much. We kept you for over, well over an hour there. So uh, really appreciate you coming in, mate. And um, thanks for everyone for listening to Out of Your League. We'll have a new episode for you, as we do every week, available to download from wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on YouTube if you really want to. I there's not, not much to see, is can there? Can you watch on YouTube? Yeah. Right. yeah. Didn't know. And um, you can give us a little follow as well, at Out of Your RL on Twitter. Be seeing you.